My name is Jacob Stoops. And I'm Jeff Luella. And you're listening to the Page Two Podcast. This is our podcast about the people of the SEO industry. We chronicle the real life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the business. In this week's episode, we talk with Jeff Atkinson, founder and CEO of Huckabye, an SEO platform focused on a technology-based approach to SEO. We talk about Jeff's evolution from ski bum to SEO to CEO, his time and experience at Dartmouth College, how he went from email marketing manager to leading all SEO and digital at Overstock as marketplaces were on the rise, what it was like being part of the acquisition of Portico and what drove him to found his own company, Huckabye, and take it from a coupon website to a SaaS SEO company. For our weekly topic, we discuss the ins and outs of doing enterprise e-commerce at massive scale and what strategies Jeff was able to use during his time at Overstock that still work today. And lastly, we take more weekly Twitter questions and award even more swag. So get your popcorn ready as we tell Jeff's SEO story and have another great roundtable discussion. Hey, everybody. This is Jacob Stoops, and we are back with episode number 66 of the Page 2 podcast. If you don't know me, I am an SEO director at Search Discovery, a data transformation company, and I am joined uh, by Mr. Jeff Luella, senior technical SEO at the Wirecutter, a division of the New York Times Hey, howdy, hey. Hey, howdy, hey. There it is. <laughs> you forgot a uh, guru tard and, you know, podcaster since I can't SEO. That's, you know, yes, things, that, yeah. things that we've already been told we are. So we don't take, we don't take uh, YouTube comments or sub tweets very personal, do we? No. He, he, well, the guru tard was definitely. Uh, definitely towards us. And for those of you that are wondering why we're talking about guru tards, uh, maybe nine episodes ago, uh, there was a, a very rude YouTube comment because we, we just launched a YouTube channel this season. Uh, very rude comment that uh, we ended up deleting because it, it was just completely uncalled for in which we were called guru tards and told to go yeah. look it up on Urban Dictionary. Dictionary. So... I looked it up and they, they, were, they were right. It was very unflattering and un, unpleasant. Uh, then we just kind of moved, moved, moved on. With our <laughs> Some day. of us moved on. Jeff hasn't moved on. Uh, anyways, um, yeah, how's it, uh, how's it going? It's going great. I mean, I, uh, it's been like a crazy week. Started off more crazy. We finally finished up our planning um, for like, you know, what we're going to be doing in, in 2021. Um, so it's, it was a lot more detailed than I've ever really been through, but it's uh, made it all the way through the top chains of command. So, so we're set. So we're ready. I'm getting excited. Like next week, we're jumping into like all our growth movements uh, that we'll be doing at Wirecutter. What exactly is growth movements? Is that like, well, not group, but we're, I'm on the reader growth. We're here to grow our, the, my number of readers that come to our site. Um, more people that are, you know, coming to unique people that are great, like new people, even better. Um, but, you know, also making sure that the people who've come and find us easily, you know, typical SEO stuff. We just, um, 
we're broken into kind of two teams in a way. I have the editorial side of SEO and I'm on the technical side. So um, I'm just making sure that we don't mess up and that we're here and we're, we're ready for core web vitals and all that fun stuff. Yeah. I've, I'll be interested to see uh, what comes out of core yeah. web vitals because quite honestly, every client that I'm working with, seems to suck at it. Yeah, no. And <laughs> so maybe if we all just suck enough, there's not going to be a change because we all suck. <laughs> yeah, the issue in the publishing world is that AMP right. is like super important and we all hate it. Nobody wants to be on AMP. So, yeah. um, well, maybe some people want to be on AMP, but not most people. <laughs> uh, so it's one of those things where we're just like, not this year, but maybe next year. They say if we hit our core web vitals, we can pull that AMP Band-Aid off and actually have a really fast running website. But in the publishing world, if you're not in those top stories and you're not getting into some of those listings, like no one's going, you know, we're called the page two podcast, but no one's going to page two for news. So, you know, we need to be as high as we can up in the page. And a lot of that is that that top stories carousel. And then that's where we really want to focus on and, and make sure that we're meeting our goals there. We do have AMP, which is great. So we can like run, ride that out until we get all our core web vitals, but we're not too far, too far off. Fun. Uh, before we bring on our guests, fun fact, if you see the pictures behind me, it is Godfather 1, Godfather 2, uh, Casino, uh, and uh, Goodfellas. And uh, the story behind the page two podcast when I originally uh, came up with it is I, I wanted to integrate some sort of like a mob movie theme because I'm a mob movie aficionado. Uh, and the best place to head hide dead bodies is on page two, page two podcast. So there you go. Uh, and then yes. I found out there's like the page one podcast, the page three <laughs> podcast, there's another page two podcast. So it was a completely terrible idea. Uh, now that we're competing with all of the just got to own it and win it. Right, exactly. All right, so so let's bring on our guest, and I I think uh, Mr. Luella is about to to have a little cat fight. Uh, but our guest today <laughs> uh, is Mr. Jeff Atkinson, uh, founder and CEO of Huckabye. How's it going, Jeff? Hey guys, it's going great. Thanks for having me on, Jacob. Jeff, it's great to be here. Uh, love this podcast, so I'm glad uh, I can be part of it now. Yeah, and as long as I say Jeff, I'll I'll never mess I'll never mess yeah. up. But but you guys aren't going to know who I'm talking to. So <laughs> good right, we'll both talk. I'm just glad I'm not defaulting to G off. Uh, that's sometimes yeah. the go to. So <laughs> yes, we were arguing about which is the right way to spell Jeff before I'll, I'll, we jumped on. I'll let Jeff pass as Jeff. No G offs said. It's, it's, uh, we're, I appreciate we're, that. We're, we're part of the same family. Yes. Just cousins. Yes. The Jeff. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, so before we jump into Jeff's background, uh, not Mr. Luella, uh, Mr. Atkinson, uh, who, who wants to be Jeff one and Jeff two before I confuse myself? You know, you can call him Jeff. <laughs> All right. Say, yeah. Call we'll me just, uh, we'll call the you other Luella. dude. Yeah. Um, want to want to touch on a couple of things. So number one, we've got a YouTube channel. We just launched it. Uh, this season, uh, we would love for people to uh, also listen to us on YouTube. So like the kids say, uh, if you if you like our videos, uh, make sure you subscribe, hit the bell for the notifications. Uh, yeah, we would love to, to build up our following on YouTube. It's just another way to uh, listen. And in that case, uh, watch. Uh, and then probably the other thing, 
way more important than our YouTube subscribers, uh, is uh, Hamlet Batista and his GoFundMe. Uh, the good news is it is up to $62,694 as of uh, my last look, but the goal is $100,000. His, uh, you know, this is his family's uh, time of need. Obviously, it was a, a huge tragedy and a loss to the industry. So if you have the means to do to do so, please go to GoFundMe uh, and donate to his uh, campaign if you haven't already uh, done so. Uh, Hamlet just he brought so much to the industry and he gave so much of himself uh, he, and he made um, so many good friends and and you know even acquaintances like us uh, really really have, have felt the impact uh, you know of his passing so uh, that would be gofundme.com forward slash f forward slash in dash memory dash of dash Hamlet dash Batista and of course uh, thank you to Lily Ray for organizing. Uh, probably the other thing uh, in terms of things that you can do to support uh, not just him and his uh, his family, uh, but to support the amazing people that work for his company, RankSense. So uh, there have been a couple of public demos uh, recently. A uh, lot of a lot of attendance. It has been recorded. Uh, I've had the pleasure of doing a demo of RankSense uh, in December. Uh, which was the last time I was able to, to speak to Hamlet. His uh, the the company that he's building definitely it's it's quite it's quite amazing uh, and it's quite revolutionary. Uh, and I, I'm I would love to get some search discovery clients to utilize this platform because it solves a very important uh, problem. Which on the agency side, that problem is implementation. Uh, and uh, Hamlet's uh, Hamlet's uh, uh, company, software, uh, platform, uh, whatever you want to call it, works through uh, Cloudflare, and it acts as a meta CMS, uh, number one, uh, and it helps you implement some changes out on the cloud. It's it's part testing platform. I know that they're also uh, looking at uh, ways to utilize uh, technology like Python, which Hamlet is known for, to and machine learning to automate uh, content writing, meta description writing. It was really, really powerful stuff. Uh, and I would just encourage everybody uh, that if that is a, if implementation or if automation is a problem that you're trying to solve with your company, your agency, if you do SEO, uh, go give his company a look. It's ranksense.com. Um, Last thing, uh, and then we will get into the episode, uh, is of course there also is uh, another uh, project that is uh, near and dear to our heart, another organization, and that is uh, United Search. So for people that are looking to get into the speaking circuit, this part is for you. So are you looking to break into SEO conference speaking but not sure how? Are you feeling that you are not well represented within the current SEO speaking circuit and you want to change that? We at the Page 2 Podcast would like to take the opportunity to let users know about United Search, a new organization and first of its kind SEO speaker accelerator dedicated to ending the implicit bias in SEO that keeps BIPOC, LBGTQIA+, and women in the margins of our industry. Their credo is diverse SEO equals better SEO. United Search offers mentoring advice from people with real world practical SEO experiences in order to give students the skills they need to be able to deliver an amazing presentation on any stage in the network they need to land gigs, all at no cost to the student. 
So how does this work? It's actually pretty simple. United Search connects a cohort of the best pitches they can source with the top mentors in their subject matter. After working with their mentors to develop their talk, they will host a live stream event where students get to present to SEO experts and receive positive constructive feedback. Graduates of this SEO speaker accelerator will get the benefit of top-notch mentorship, public speaking training, a video reel, lots of positive feedback, as well as a foot in the door to help and find and land speaking gigs uh, and access to an amazing community of SEO professionals. What does this mean for our podcast? As a sponsor and advocate, we're committed to regularly showing stats that illustrate our commitment to diversity on this podcast, and we've made a pledge to diversify, meaning that 60% of our guests will come from underrepresented groups, including women, BIPOC, BAME, LGBTQIA+, as well as representation for people with disabilities and those who are 55 years and older. If this sounds of interest to you, visit unitedsearch.org to learn more about becoming a student or mentor or visit them on Twitter at search underscore united. So uh, definitely something we talk about nearly uh, nearly every yeah. episode, diversity uh, and balance. Uh, it's not always been great in the SEO industry and we're trying to do our little part uh, to, to change that and bring different perspectives. Uh, to our podcast, and certainly United Searches uh, is leading the charge uh, on that. So definitely something that, that we want to continue to promote. We think it's important. Okay. All right. So let's talk some SEO. So Jeff, uh, you are now on the hot seat. Uh, tell everybody about yourself. Yeah. So I'm originally from the Boston area. I grew up on the South Shore of Boston, kind of between Boston and Cape Cod. Um, I was a ski racer of all things and ended up going uh, to school to Dartmouth College in New Hampshire. <clears throat> I spent a year on the U.S. ski team and then uh, took a year off, uh, lived out west in Sun Valley, Idaho. And I really just being a skier and getting to travel the United States, specifically, you know, ski towns out west. <clears throat> I fell in love with with the mountains and uh, eventually after college moved to Utah. So kind of a wild story of how I ended up at Overstock and in Utah. I've been here for 15 years now, which is crazy. Um, but I was actually moving to New Zealand um, to work at a friend's bar in Queenstown, New Zealand and just be a ski bum. That was my plan. My mom was like, uh-uh, that's not, you're not going to leave here without taking a job interview. So she actually knew someone in um, Dartmouth has like a career services type department and they schemed on, what job interview to take. And that ended up being this fastly growing uh, e-commerce company out of Salt Lake City called Overstock. So I started, I took a job there at the ground floor, um, really trying just to be a ski bum more than have a real career. But um, yeah, I spent seven years at Overstock, eventually became their SVP over marketing and analytics and did a lot of sort of the front end revenue stuff uh, at Overstock, then um, and that's I'm sure we'll get into that on this podcast, which is cool. There's a lot of great war stories and um, success yeah. stories from that experience. Uh, then moved on, uh, took some time off, ended up helping a friend who had just become the CEO of this luxury travel startup named Portico Club um, that got acquired after I was there for about six months and uh, really wanted to get back to Park City uh, where I live. So moved back to Park City and founded Huckabye. And Huckabye actually started as a terrible idea. It was a B2C idea. I think um, 
comparison shopping engine um, that shows coupons. So one single source to see prices and, and coupons on one spot. It was a total SEO play. But at the time, you guys will remember Google and still does sort of shut down affiliate sites from ranking. You had to have the product in-house. So I think our largest revenue month ever was like $20 affiliate check. Um, so we were just swimming upstream. Fortunately, though, people that knew Huckabye recognized some of the SEO technology and automation that we had built and wanted to start licensing that. And so about three and a half years ago, we pivoted into a software company completely unwillingly, <laughs> didn't even know about the power of recurring revenue or, you know, all the great things that, you know, VCs sometimes only invest in SaaS and this and that. I just did it as the fastest path to revenue. And now think of us as a technical SEO layer. Um, we kind of do three things. We automate structured data. We automate um, a dynamically rendered version of your site in the flat HTML version. And now we have actually a page speed product specifically uh, designed for the 2021 update here coming in uh, in May. So that's the latest. Um, things are good. I'm here in Park City. It's snowing. Uh, I have a wife and two dogs and a baby. Um, you guys let me know what you want to know. It's great to be on. <laughs> yeah. So you're an Ivy leaguer. So I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Jeff, Jeff and I said, we've got to at minimum pretend this is where the imposter syndrome comes into play this episode, but at minimum <laughs> pretend to be very smart. Uh, and we yes. were like, that's never going to work. We're, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess tell us how you, how, and and I, I see what your mom was saying, by the way, you went, you went to Dartmouth and then you came out of that and wanted to be a ski bum. So like those two things don't necessarily work together. So I'll just say like from the outside looking in, I think you've got a, got a good mom. She got you back on the, on the right track, but tell us a little bit about your Dartmouth experience. I definitely do have a good mom. Um, <laughs> so just so you know, I definitely didn't get into Dartmouth on academics. Uh, I was at, <laughs> I was a two-sport athlete, so I was a ski racer and a runner, and um, I only ran my freshman year, and then I got injured, but uh, I was like a two-for-one, um, so they did get two, two positions checked with one person. Um, Dartmouth is, is kind of wild. It's, uh, it's up in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire. Um, it's a big like fraternity scene, so I was a fraternity boy, which is kind of a wild thing, but um, my life was really skiing. Um, when you ski at that level, Dartmouth is one of the best ski schools in the country and it takes like all of your time. So a lot of travel, a lot of up in five in the morning, you know, two day practices, two a day practices. Um, that was really my experience. I was not, uh, I kind of regret not pursuing the academic side of, of Dartmouth more. I learned a lot. I think, you know, what I say about going to a school like that is you, you learn around a lot being just around smart people. So it's not so much the classes and what you're learning in the classroom. You're just around people that are way smarter than you are. And that sort of rubs off. So um, it was a great experience. It took me five years to graduate. So that'll give you an idea of my uh, academic acumen. Um, but it was a great experience. It's one that you know, there it's 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 just a cool alumni network. I think it's sort of um, one of the more like hum, you you know the joke. You always know um, you've met someone from Yale in like the first two minutes of the conversation. Um, I think Dartmouth's probably like the most humble of the Ivy League. I think everyone's sort of uh, 
pretty down to earth and well natured and cause it's in the middle of nowhere and you end up doing a lot of stuff outside. So, um, I'm proud to be an alumni and it was, it was a great experience, but I definitely don't think of myself as any sort of, uh, intellectual academic or anything like that. Oh my gosh. I was thinking of, uh, I was expecting, uh, Andy, Andy Bernard from the, from the office, uh, <laughs> like a, like a Cornell, like maybe like a, you know, ever heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ever heard of it. A acapella band, uh, a story or something of that nature. Uh, so to, to hear that, uh, folks from Dartmouth are humble is just not, I just, I don't even know what I was expecting other than my, my fictitious version of Andy, Andy Bernard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. A little more down, a little more down to earth. Um, usually you hear about, you know, Harvard grads or, or Cornell or, you know, they, they put it right at the front of everything they do and, and that's not who we are. So living so, down here in Georgia, um, being like in you know all the sec schools down here like it is a huge badge to honor of where you went to and there's wars every saturday but like flags out on people's lawns between mm-hmm. alabama georgia auburn and it's it is uh it's fun coming from philadelphia where we, like our closest major college team that had any good football was Penn state but uh you know coming down here to where it's like college football beats pro football every day of the week so uh that's been interesting where people that's how they introduce themselves. Hey, Georgia, where'd you go? And I'm like, community college in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, so it's funny. I, I say I, that was uh, that was something I missed in the college experience. Like these yeah. SEC schools, the football is such a big part of the experience. And Dartmouth yeah. had a football team, but they were terrible, and no one went to the games. Yeah. And so I kind of I've only been to one big college football game in Oregon. Um, at the University of Oregon, and I don't think it was anything like what I could expect going to an SEC game. So I've missed out on that college experience. Yeah, I, I, me too. But I've been there actually uh, as an adult, like last year, <laughs> um, and it it was a fun time. I mean, just the party atmosphere around it was a great time. And I was like, man, if I went to college here, I'd be in trouble. So, so <laughs> I, oh no, I I I have that experience. So I I went to the Ohio State University. Uh, which is, it's very, very similar. So like people coming from Michigan, like once they introduce themselves from Michigan, most Ohio State fans will think, all right, you're an asshole uh, because of the whole, (laughs) no, it hasn't been a rivalry, uh, you know, for a long time at this point because of the the results on the field with Ohio State kind of dominating. But it used to be a really important rivalry at some point. And I know that folks on the Ohio state side still kind of consider it uh, a, a rival and it's a kind of a badge of honor to, uh, to hate uh, Michigan <laughs> university, so on and so forth. But I will say the college experience while awesome, definitely contributed to the fact that uh, in, in Jeff, like you said, I went to, I graduated in five years. I went to Ohio state for like five years, never graduated left college and had to go back to a different college later to finish it up. And I attribute that partly to the football related uh, party atmosphere, which I indulged a little bit too (laughs) much, but it got me to where I'm at here, (laughs) which is, uh, which is running a humble little podcast. And uh, I would not, if I had not done that, I would not be an SEO like that. That part is a fact. Um, True. That part is where the let's go. Right, exactly. Um, (laughs) So, Jeff, when you started at Overstock, you started as an email marketing manager, right? Very ground floor. 
and then you became the the over the course of uh, several years the uh, the SVP of all all digital. So how does one go from a, a very entry level position to SVP of digital at a company like Overstock, which now that was a little while ago. So Overstock then probably wasn't what it is today. Um, but that's still a pretty amazing jump in terms of leveling up, uh, you know, roles, you know, titles, uh, you know, what you're doing with the company. Um, talk us through a little bit about what that was like, how that went, um, your experience. Yeah, even to say I started as the email marketing manager isn't true. I was the lowest man on the totem pole in the whole marketing org. I think my primary responsibility was breaking down the cardboard boxes and taking them out to the recycling bin <laughs> when I got there. A um, couple things, you know, people ask me about this experience a lot and what, you know, what to learn from it. I think one is being part of an, up, you know, an organization that's on the up and up, you know, being part of a rocket ship is a huge part of an early career. Also being part of a, a larger company that has career advancement opportunities and career paths and, and training and mentoring. And then just the value of, of having a powerful mentor uh, is a big part of it as well. So the story sort of goes, yeah, started on the bottom rung on the email team. If you've ever shopped at Overstock, you've probably seen a lot of emails. <laughs> we sent a lot of email, a lot of coupons, a lot of warehouse clearances and such. Um, we kind of figured it out pretty early though. And the, the, the email was just growing like crazy. And it wasn't any sort of really sophisticated stuff. It was just all in a spreadsheet and we'd test different subject lines and coupons. And um, it was really sort of, uh, you know, back, it was, this was 2005 when the internet was still kind of a wild west where you could try almost anything and, and there was no books written. You were trying to figure it out as you, as you went. And I, I had no, I was a sociology major. So I was coming into this world really fresh, but it turns out I had a, a bit of a mind for, for digital marketing and we put up some great results. And Overstock was really a meritocracy, meaning everybody watched the performance of each team. So whether it was affiliate marketing or paid search or SEO or email or website conversion rate, you know, up to the hour, you could see exactly what was going on. And so email was a rocket ship and, and I eventually became the manager of that team. At the time we'd made some like really major tech investments into Oracle and Teradata. And once they'd made like these $40 million investments, they were like, well, you gotta make money from these things, specifically the Teradata, which is a data warehousing system, not as popular today, but then it was sort of revolutionary. So they kind of handed me the keys to this thing and said, hey, we need to, make money off this, right? We're tracking all this customer information, clicks and searches and what they're buying and stuff. Um, and so we we got into the personalization world, which was the first thing after, a uh, first company really to do it after Amazon. I also joke, you don't want to pick Amazon as your number one competitor for seven years of your career, but um, it makes you stronger, that's for sure. So got into personalization, then we started applying a lot of this stuff to the website. So I, I think I became like director of website marketing or something like that. And um, learned about SEO uh, really in a random way. I, we had another, we had an SVP. I wasn't an SVP at this point who had um, heard about this guy who does search engine optimization. His name is Paul Bremer. Um, he was big in the industry back then, sort of has tapped out um, since then, but 
I gave him a call and um, talked for two hours and I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. And I remember at this point, I'd formed a bit of a relationship with the CEO and founder of, of Overstock, Patrick Byrne. And I ran up to his office and I hopped on the whiteboard and I was just like, you got to see what this guy was telling me. I don't know if it's true or not, but this is like the concept. And none, none of us had heard of it. No one had heard of SEO. It was a new phrase. And um, we had a lot of resources and Patrick got the vision enough and, and I had the vision sort of in my head of how we wanted to go about this, that we, we had almost like, not at first, but at some point we kind of had unlimited resources. So we brought Paul in, he became a, he was with an agency, he became a consultant for us, almost like a teacher. You know, he would come in and would have SEO class for 10 marketing employees at a time. And we did that for like three months. So we got like a lot of knowledge transfer and um, it kind of went nuts. You know, we, we went from like zero to 300 million or something like that. in like three or four years, it was a really crazy growth curve. Now we had almost unlimited, unlimited resources, which is a crazy thing. Like we had 40 people working on SEO at some point with half of them being developers. So those are just circumstances that are not normal. Um, but my Overstock story, that was just part of it. You know, eventually did become the SVP over marketing. So I controlled, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in, in advertising uh, spend. We did a lot of TV successfully. Um, you know, the game plan there was really uh, TV and SEO were the new customer acquisition channels. And then we got really good at CRM. You know, we had a loyalty program, um, really strong on analytics, uh, a lot of statisticians. Um, eventually, I didn't just dabble in marketing. I also ran um, this analytics group that started to do all the pricing algorithms and forecasting algorithms, which is a really cool, wild world. Um, eventually even ran buying. So I've had experience from, you know, doing hardcore SEO to being on the garment district of New York buying raincoats. Um, just a really kind of diverse experience that I got there that I'm very fortunate for. I think my rise was putting up numbers early and then Patrick was my mentor. You know, he, he took me under his wing and I, I did great things for him and he did great things for me. And it was a great, we were a great team for seven years. Um, yeah, it was a it was a rocket ship, you know. That's it's a big part of it is just being at the right place at the right time, and and I worked, you know, extremely hard, obviously, to get to get to that position. But um, yeah, it was a great run. It was a great run, and I and I'm very grateful for that experience. I've really only had two jobs in my life. The Portico thing was like six months, so Overstock and now Huckabee, which I feel really grateful for. Yeah, I was I was going to quickly ask one question about Portico. So for myself spend most of my time in agencies, uh, my couple of in-house roles. <laughs> One was in automotive, which is about everything you would ever imagine about automotive. And it was like, I very quickly realized I was not a fit in that world within about, a, I was in and out for about a year. Uh, and then one was for a company called Startups, uh, startups.com now, uh, which was a really, really interesting experience that was more focused on providing business advice for people founding startups so that they can eventually become profitable, make money. And I ran all of the organic search and, and a lot of the digital marketing for startups that, that for me also like in-house, I just, something about in-house just doesn't seem to jive with me. So I went back to agency, but one of the big things in in-house was, uh, or not in in-house, but at startups was the experience of being bought out 
Uh, and that's like in, in the case of most startups, that's the goal uh, is to build your company up enough to, to achieve a certain level of viability to either go public or have somebody buy you or both. Uh, and as somebody that even if it was just a short amount of time, what was it like to go through kind of a buyout like that? Well, you know, I think one thing that I've realized, especially now with my own startup and being involved as an entrepreneur now for since 2012, is there's different different levels of acquisitions. So you hear about the great ones, the big ones, mm-hmm. where everybody, you know, 100x their money. And um, But not all acquisitions are all that profitable for the founding group or even the, or the executives. So in the... Um, I don't think, yeah, the company's done, so I'm not disclosing too much here. Uh, <laughs> we, I was brought on as like basically the number two at Portico Club, and it was a real bad situation. We were, we had raised $10 million and we were blowing through it at a rate that is like, I don't know, 250 grand a month. I mean, it was more than that, uh, probably half a million a month. The company was not particularly being run very well. It also didn't really have the normal founder interaction in that a competitor, it was owned by this company called Exclusive Resorts. So it's like subscription vacations, like the most ridiculous vacations you could imagine. And they charged like $500,000 to become a member. Those founders sold and made a bunch of money. They sold to Steve Case, the founder of AOL and his revolution fund. They made a bunch of money. Then they started like their six minute abs, which was a company called Inspirado. That was the same concept for about $20,000. And so Steve Case said, well, screw these guys. I'm going to start Portico Club, which will be $10,000. And so it was, it wasn't your normal. And then he brought in, you know, my friend Justin to be the CEO. And it wasn't your normal sort of startup situation. It was a lot of like, Steve Case was pretty involved. Interesting guy, by the way but he just pumped a bunch of money into it and was like, we gotta, we gotta solve for this competition. Um, I, I've never had such a high position at a company with like zero control over what was going on. Um, it was kind of shocking. I was like, why are you paying me to be here? Um, it was a, it was a really, uh, so that when they say acquisition, it was really kind of a merger more than anything. Yeah. They, they touted it as an acquisition, but, Inspirado bought Portico Club and then they basically did like a stock swap. But because I wasn't like a founder, it didn't financially impact me in any big way. It was stressful and, um, but no one walked away with a bunch of money like a normal, or maybe not normal, but a, a good acquisition. So it wasn't like that huge rah, rah. I'm hoping that ha- does happen to Huckabye. I think Huckabye's worth a lot more than Portico Club ever was. But, um, it wasn't that whole like adrenaline, like we did it type mentality. It was more like, whew, like we got out of this bad situation it, yeah. and it's over with. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing in, I think that's some really good levity to my initial question because my initial question made it seem as if the all acquisitions, people are 10xing or even more in some cases, their money. Uh, and that is incredibly, incredibly rare. And, and that was the advice of the uh, of kind of the business owners at startup startups who had been through that process. Uh, Will Schroeder, Ryan Rutan, uh, you may or may not know them. 
really, really savvy business professionals who have been through several acquisitions, founded multiple companies, and just really understand it. And their advice is uh, those types of unicorn acquisitions are just that. They're, they're unicorns, right? They, they almost yeah. never happen. So coming out of an acquisition and making any money uh, a lot of times is a, is a good outcome, especially when you consider that 90% of startups fail after six months or something like that. So, yeah. So I guess my next uh, question before we get into a really interesting topic, which isn't just e-commerce, it is enterprise and ridiculous scale enterprise (laughs) e-commerce would be uh, about Huckabye, right? So you, you spent a lot of time in house out of college. You went through this, seems like a really painful, painful experience at Portico. So Founding a company is a completely different thing, and it requires, I think, a completely different mindset, skill set. What made you want to found your your own company, and how did you evolve from a coupon company to an SEO company? <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think they ever know the skill set that's involved in founding a company. Um, I always wanted to do this. I remember I went to, um, it wasn't a full MBA, but Dartmouth has a great business school called Tuck and they, Dartmouth's a a liberal arts college. They don't have these really specific, like you don't even have a business degree. Um, So I knew I wanted to get into business. So they did this program called the bridge program. That's like business camp. It's like two months of get an MBA in two months really stressful and a lot of work. But I remember meeting this guy, this professor, that was the best part of it. These professors were really great. And he was a finance guy that had made a bunch of money on Wall Street. And he had moved to um, to New Hampshire with his family to, to work as a, as a uh, professor. And he said to me, Jeff, there's two ways to make a lot of money. One is you either are in, there's two ways, finance, or you start your own company. And something about that just stuck with me. You know, I was probably like, 19 years old or something. And, and just the, it was this sort of uh, dreamy thing, you know, which it's not by the way, but it was this dreamy uh, founder type, type idea. So I always had business ideas and I, I, fortunately I knew what I didn't know. You know, I didn't, I I didn't come out of college and say, I know how to do this. I'm just going to do it. Um, I really did sort of was strategic about my overstock experience to be like, this is the stepping stone for me. And I was buddy, you know, I was right hip to hip with a very successful founder. You know, his, his dad was the CEO of Geico. His godfather was Warren Buffett. Um, here I was like right at this guy's hip, kind of learning what it takes to be the, the CEO and, and the founder. And um, that was that was great experience. Uh, you never know the, like the, the skill set of having the whole company on your shoulders um, versus being a cog in the wheel, even if you're a very big cog in the wheel is, is a big jump and, and you never, you're not prepared for it. But I do feel very fortunate about Huckabye making it as far as it's made it. Um, I think we solve a real problem, which is, and Jeff and, and Jacob, you both have dealt with how hard it is to check some of these really big technical boxes internally. Um, before the call, when we were talking about core web vitals to hear that you guys are or, you know, Jeff, you're prepping for it a ton. And Jacob, you're saying it's it's really hard, right, to get these things across the line. So I really believe in what we've built. I also think, you know, I do think a lot about the acquisition. It is a SaaS company that's firmly in the MarTech space. 
And so we do think a lot about acquisition and being unique enough and providing enough that a, an Adobe or a Salesforce or one of these marketing clouds would be like, we need a, an SEO solution that really moves the needle. So uh, I'm proud of what we've built. Um, we have a long ways to go before anything like that would happen, but to have it be, you know, there's a moment of being proud for it to be, you know, we're about 20, 22 employees now. Everybody's paid well, they're great healthcare, you know, the company's growing. Um, the early stages, the very early, not, we're still in an early stage, but the early, early stages are really tough when it's just sort of nothing. And so when we were a coupon site, um, that was the, the biggest thing was like, you can have the most brilliant idea to pivot into the SaaS company was just cr critical. We wouldn't be alive if I hadn't done that. And I think you have to be very open as a founder to think your brilliant idea maybe wasn't that brilliant. And yet there is this path, right? There's this pathway to success that you, you see, it might be there and to take that and take it quickly. Um, is a, the very early stages you have to be able to, I think, to be humble enough and, and nimble enough to, to make those moves. And, and even to this day, like I can tell a story maybe later, we just pivoted our whole sales efforts. I got rid of our entire, pretty much our entire sales staff last Friday, a week ago. And SEOs don't like to buy from account executives. I've learned that the hard way over the last couple of years. They want to buy, they do 95% of their shopping digitally, right? It's a digital relationship. They're going to the site, they're researching dynamic rendering and trying to find solutions. They're researching the May 2021 update. And we're just facilitators. We're just the ones that make, we have to make it as easy as possible for these people to buy our product. So even that last, a week ago, I made a major pivot in Huckabye. And um, I think you got to be willing to do that. And uh, so- it's been it's been cool. I feel fortunate. You know, Huckabee I think is in a great position, and I'm um, and uh, you know happy to talk about it more. I know there's the Overstock story is a great one, but um, these these technical SEO boxes are very hard to check, and uh, a SaaS solution in my mind kind of lends itself to to accomplishing some big technical SEO uh, improvements, and so that's really what we've built. So. <clears throat> One more question. I, I two more questions actually. I, I I had one question in in my mind, and you brought up another question before we jump into the to the e-commerce stuff. Um, as a as a SaaS company, you're focusing on um, some really technical and really really advanced things, right? Site speed, uh, especially in in the way that you're. Uh, that you're approaching it, it's a really, really challenging thing to move the needle on and you quickly reach the point of diminishing return for the amount of effort that you have to put into it. Uh, you're doing edge SEO, cloud SEO, which is pretty advanced uh, for what most people do. Uh, you know, if anybody reads your website, there's uh, definitely a lot of, a lot of uh, talk with respect to uh, rendering. Uh, in, in how, how you can render content. So what made you want to fill that, that particular niche? What, what did you see? Like, why did you pivot to that? You know, this is another one of those, like there was never any brilliant aha moment. It's a, it's a number of things. So I'll tell you the quickly the story. So the actual first piece of technology that people wanted to start licensing from us was something called Huck News, which we don't even sell anymore and we, we barely support it. Think of the idea was 
how do you create a new fresh piece of content really quickly on pages that matter? And the idea was, well, you put it right below above the footer. And our idea was to grab an Instagram post and then just write a short blurb about that Instagram post and you could post it. And that's like a tiny little, little fresh piece of content that comes up and you could do it in five minutes. And if you did it enough, Google would see, oh, they're updating this page in, in a meaningful way and you get rewarded. And it worked. It worked great, actually. It was amazing how well it worked. And so that was the first piece. We don't even sell that piece anymore. The next piece was structured data. I realized at Overstock how important structured data was, how much it was moving the needle, how this whole zero click thing was playing out, how the whole um, voice search thing was playing out, how they were both dependent on and rich results and how they were both dependent on structured data. And that, that was really the future of how Google and other search engines wanted to talk to websites. And there was, it's a hard, it's also just like page speed. It's a hard task to often do well internally because you have moving targets. You have the website changing all the time. Then you have Google changing their requirements all the time. So I figured, all right, if we could do it across a hundred customers and we monitored it really closely and we could adjust as Google changed and these websites changed, that would really be something of value. And it was amazing how quickly our growth took off. Like the structured data piece at the time just resonated great. We went from like zero to a million in sales really, really quickly. Um, and then came dynamic rendering. And I have a CTO who watches Google like a hawk. And um, I was like, really? Like, that's a thing? We can do that? Like, that's such a, I thought that was like one of the biggest pivots Google's made in a really long time is allowing you to give them a, a, a different version. And so that opened up sort of the Huckabye cloud and we built that. We were a first dynamic rendering tool. We're still the, the best in terms of performance and dynamic rendering. And then um, a natural next step of that was page speed. Like, can we do this? Can we use a lot of this technology for users as well? Can we use a lot of this edge uh, network technology uh, to, to push the needle as well. And honestly, we were working on it before Google announced uh, Core Web Vitals and the page experience update, which was just really fortuitous. And now, not only have we spent eight months building a product for it, but we also have been doing the marketing for it. So if you Google 2021 Google update, we ranked number one. Um, we did a bunch of our own SEO work. So we feel like we're really well positioned going into May. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to be scrambling. You yeah. guys are too smart to be doing that, but there's a lot of people <laughs> are going to be searching for solutions. And I think Huckabye is going to be right there, um, ready, ready to be purchased. So ready to so, meet the need. <laughs> yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit of how it works. You don't have to give away the, you know, all the details, but this is something I think you mentioned it was on the edge. So is this something that works with a VPN or do you have like VPN, not VPN, sorry, CDNs. Um, so does it work with something like Cloudflare or is it on, or, you know, at New York times we use Fastly, which does a lot of that end stuff too. Um, or is it your own kind of CDN mixture that you put out there on, you know, AWS or something? So our real proprietary technology is actually in the, the rendering um, okay. and then it's a partnership with Cloudflare is the best performing Huckabye uh, page speed and dynamic rendering product. So it's at edge okay. using workers. Mm -hmm. And then the uh, we also work with Lambda at edge. So AWS's um, solution, we also have a, have a solution for as well. The Cloudflare one though has the most functionality. Um, mm -hmm. So if you, if you do use our page speed product, you know, you can get a 30 to 40 per, uh, point improvement in your Lighthouse scores, maybe sometimes even more, but 
Huckabye is a great example. If you just go around and click on our, our site, you get a sense of, of the, what's possible anyways. Do you do any type of reporting on it at all? Um, that's, that's actually where we're at right now. Um, we're working on just our core of vitals in general, but it's, you know, where we're implementing Lighthouse CI into our, you know, engineering mm-hmm. CI stack. We ended up taking that out and, and we're, we went with Calibre or Caliber. If it's mm-hmm. officially Calibre, I always called it Calibre and then I was told <laughs> I was wrong, but uh, Calibre. Um, so now the, the idea was to get the engineers to constantly be looking at like, not constantly, but at least have it pop up and they, they're aware of, of the, you know, performance issues or benefits that they're getting. Cause I want them to see, like, I want to gamify it. Right. I want them to know, yeah. Hey, we're, we're going faster. And even if it's two points faster, it's like, Hey, we went two points faster today. Um, and that's then, what it is. Yeah. Those but little, then I, those little wins. And, and that's and that's what's awesome about um, doing that. But then it's like I guess we're starting to implement RUM score or RUM monitoring, so real user metrics, and they're nothing like Lighthouse scores. <laughs> they're they're actually totally the opposite of Lighthouse scores because where we thought we were doing worse in Lighthouse, it's like it seems like once we started getting some of that RUM data in, it's like oh, like our LCP is not so bad, but our CLS is terrible. But in the other ones, it says it's fine. So I've I've been having like. Part of my like 2021 so far was like just coming up with reporting and yeah. I want to report it all and let, let them know like, Hey, engineering, you know, a, you know, a, a, uh, like a, not as big of a score on uh, like LCP is like, if we're at five seconds, that actually might be really two seconds. Once you put in all our, you know, CDN and caching and stuff like that, which the RUM data will give us, but we're still trying to figure that data out before we just dive into some of the, you know, there's some basic things we know we need to fix, but at the same time, like reporting is tough. So I didn't know how Huckabye did like with if reporting those core web vitals. So we do, um, we have a dashboard where we are and you're absolutely right. A really big part of this is how is, how's the game being scored, right? Yeah. Um, they've been pretty upfront and honest with it, but I think, what we've found and what we're building sort of next. So our reporting on it comes obviously from a local or it's in the cloud, but it's coming from a certain location. The (laughs) best job you can do is actually have, call it like five nodes around the world, which is a lot of work to do. Um, That's sort of our next evolution is actually being like, okay, here are your three core web vitals in Hong Kong and London and San Francisco and in New York or in Australia, something like that. Now, Usually they level out if you're at edge, right? Because you're already um, delivering the content and the pages at edge at over 200 locations around the world. But you still find some some issues. The reporting piece is tough. And Jeff, you and I could talk about this for days, um, what's mm-hmm. what's going on with it. But it is really, if you, if you focus on the three core web vitals and like one of the things that we did, we gamified it as well as like, we had this goal of trying to get to 100. Like, I didn't even know if that was possible. And we got Huckabye to 100. Nice. And that was so cool. Now, we're no longer there because we added a chat box to the site. But um, <laughs> we're at like <laughs> 95 or something Stupid like that now. chat which is, boxes. <laughs> which is great. But I, I heard a stat the other day that thirty. Uh, the average website on the internet right now scores a 35. And it's something like you have to be, you know, pretty high to pass completely. Yeah. Um, so. 90. 90. Yeah. So everyone's scrambling. Um, you guys are doing it way ahead of most competitors. I loved your, we actually started on the dynamic rendering by building an amp product that didn't work. Um, they only use it for news sites amp. So anyways, that's cool. It's interesting hearing you and I'd love to talk to you offline about what's that transition looks like from amp to 
core web vitals. But um, I think it's just Google putting their foot down. They're done with yep. a, a slow internet, and I don't blame them. Agreed. I mean, they made the world secure. You know, they they really have, you know, with everyone now is HTTPS. If you go to a site that's not HTTPS, you're like, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so it's, yeah. you know, by them doing this, this is a bigger undertaking. I mean, AMP was pretty big when people had to jump onto that to get into things like top stories. So um, it's, it's big. So I'm, I am feeling that their introduction to the algorithm is going to be minimal <laughs> um, just because I think there's so much at line or like in line with, this. but just by announcing it and then slowly tweaking that wheel over time. Um, I think you'll, you'll see people really focusing on, on page B, which is great because the last thing we want to do is wait, you know, 20 seconds for a page to load. So, Let's move to the next section, and I and I'll just say you you left it wide open. Rum data. I don't know who picked that name. That's a great name, but I will say like the only <laughs> rum data that I'm used to interpreting is my own alcohol intake. So, say. <laughs> how many shots? How right, many rum exactly. Shots was it exactly four or five? How many for me to end up on the floor? Uh, all right. Yeah. So, core topic of this episode uh, is not just e-commerce and not just enterprise e-commerce, but ridiculous scale enterprise e-commerce, right? Yeah. So Jeff, you want to, you want to take this, take this part away? Yeah, sure. So that guy. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, and, and this is a, a subject that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I've, I've worked in e-commerce for a while. I used to work for a company called GSI commerce, um, which was, know, you know, was a huge, yeah, it was a huge company that, that had tons of, um, we ran a ton of brands. It was crazy. Like we like o- ran Toys R Us. Like we we owned. Yeah. I I said it was kind of like we owned the building, right? That that yep. that, that came to us. Huge, we had the huge partner of Overstocks. Um, yep. GSI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and, and it, it was fun um, when we were there. I learned a ton about it. Um, and one thing I learned about like large scale e commerce is that um, small changes can have big effects. Um, But I've also learned that when you have a million products, you are in a technical mess. Um, (laughs) So what are some of the important aspects that you're just working in large scale e-commerce that you're seeing? And and like even with Huckabye, right, like kind of the tools that you can be putting in place to, to help fix some of those issues. Yeah, I mean, Overstock got really um sophisticated really quickly. Um, Obviously, we were throwing a ton of resources at it, but to show you how sophisticated we got, Jeff, we actually had this mechanism that would create uh, category pages based on keyword volume automatically. So say like all of a sudden, there was a little uptick in people searching for white end tables, all of a sudden a category would be produced, product would be flowing into it, reviews would be flowing into the bottom of it, and suppliers would be told we need inventory and white end tables. So it got very sophisticated very quickly. I think the reason for it is we had great architects between myself, Paul, and our IT architects. Um, we kind of started from a blank slate because the site was so bad that we went from, our first SEO push was we were integrating a, a new internal search engine um, so when you search for stuff on Overstock, you would get results back and we realized, well, we could use this to power all of our categories and refinements and everything. So we architected this thing to, to do a lot of that heavy lifting. And then we went to the product page and then we went to some, there's only like four product or page types at Overstock. And so we literally got to build like the perfect SEO system that's still used today um, there. And so, uh, you know, we, we, 
got to in there, you know, they had about 20 million, they have like 20 million products. And also to show you the sophistication of it, when I started at Overstock, they were like a electronics sort of jewelry and watches media company. When I left, they were a home and garden company. And that was all driven based on keyword research. Um, that was all driven by SEO. We realized big box retailers weren't moving on this. The, you know, the Bed Bath and Beyonds, the the Macy's, they just they weren't. If they even had websites, they weren't they weren't into it. And so we just swooped totally. in. We had all the same suppliers. We figured out the supply chain in China. We'd go figure out who's making these tables from Pottery Barn, and we'll get the same ones and charge you know way less. And it was a uh, it was really a kind of a brilliant moment where supply and demand like both were ticking at the same time on the demand side, me doing my thing with SEO and marketing. And then on the supply side, we'd built this partner program that could support all these new categories and just whoosh, it just kind of took off. So a lot, I mean, as I said, we had over you know 20 developers working strictly on SEO and a lot of projects awesome. associated with it. You know, it's a rare opportunity. And so we did get to you know, you're, you're probably salivating thinking like if you could just yep. build and the domain authority was already there, the brand was already there. It was like, let's just architect the perfect, the perfect engine. Yeah, no, it sounds like, uh, I guess Bloomreach was trying to do something like that, but it sounds like you were doing a little bit before them, um, where they were building dynamic categories on, on sites, which, um, is great. Did you ever run into maybe a category that became really thin and had issues on that automated scale like that. I, I could see you say white end tables might have like, maybe there was like something in the news or an influencer had like a white table and everyone looked for it. And then the next week it was nothing. <laughs> now you have a page that, that no one's searching for. Was there like a, like a cleanup process in, in that? Yeah, there was a really strong. So the analytics part of Overstock was extremely big and there was a feedback loop. So we actually had a metric that would look at, you know, people hitting a category page, how likely were they to click onto a product page? Meaning they saw something in the category that looked uh, nice enough that they'd go through. Good categories would be 100%. Anything under like 60 and it went straight to the buyers and they went to their suppliers and they said, hey, and they loved it because it's an opportunity, right? They can go out to their whoever it is and be like, you want to sell a bunch of whatever it is on Overstock. Yeah. There's plenty of demand. Um, and it would, it's amazing how quickly it would get filled. But yeah, that was, that was a cool thing when I managed both of it because I was managing the, the, the SEO and the marketing side, but this analytics team that sat in the middle was providing, and I was managing the buying team too. It was feeding information back that actually did it really well. And yes, I know Bloomridge, I know Raj quite well. Um, I won't say who came yeah. up with the idea, but ours was a bit All different. Right. Theirs was like using search, right? So they would like yeah. actually just put the keyword. But yeah, it's a it was a we tried it too. Um, it's a cool yeah. idea. No, I've, I've seen it, model. and I've seen it work well, and I've seen it not work well. So it all depends on on that. I've seen I was part of a, a client where they they took it off and. Our, their rankings tanked and they were freaking out, but their traffic never moved. <laughs> and so it was one of those where we were like, maybe you're ranking for way too many things you didn't need to rank for. But um, so the key was for us was making it part of the navigation. So not just yeah. putting as this like little other searches box is that it naturally flowed into the navigation. Right. So Google it really real. trusted it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. What are like some of the, you know, I think we've all had those moments where we tried something and it might have worked the opposite way we thought it would have worked. Uh, what were some of those that, in the, like, 
running a large site, like, were there any like major moments where you're like, crap, you just totally blocked like a million customers coming to the site um, or maybe it's not that extreme. I, I'm lucky to say that I, I never had a super extreme moment like that, but I have been part of recoveries where people have brought us in because they have like totally destroyed like their, the middle part of an e-commerce site, right. Where it's like, you have the homepage, then it's categories. And then like, once you get to the detail pages, like, if you can't flow to that, there would be an issue. And I've had so many companies just like block that there's too many category pages. So we just block them. And it's like, why <laughs> um, have you like run into that? Like at overstock, maybe somebody on your team pushed something out that, that could have, you know, whether you caught it right off the bat or, or really did some damage. Well, this is when it gets fun. Um, how about being banned from Google for six months? Oh, that was that's a pretty big one. one. Tell us more. Uh, <laughs> yes. That's my, black hat badge of honor. Um, yeah, you can, we were made an example of, I mean, we have, I have a bunch of these stories actually, if you want me to tell some funny ones, but yeah, we got banned from Google for six months for buying links. Um, you might remember how conductor operated in the early days. They would buy, mm -hmm. it was actually brilliant. Uh, Seth made a bunch of, it was brilliant. They would buy, you know, homepage space on the New York times and they wouldn't want any sort of tracking links or anything. They just put nice, clean, links and display ads all throughout these very high, you know, publisher sites. And you could have like a betting, you know, or sheet set link from the New York times homepage for six months. It was crazy. Um, so that was a major, a major one. <laughs> I, I work for the New York I, times and I can't even get that right now. So it's, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, that was sort of nuts. Um, so getting banned from Google, we were made an example of, it took us six months of, of just full on scrambling and working with them directly. So that was, that was probably the biggest one. Another one um, we on black Friday once pushed a bunch of code that we were doing pirates of the Caribbean DVDs for like 10 bucks when it was just coming out and everybody else was at 20. It was a new customer acquisition strategy and it took the whole site down for all of black Friday. We lost like 15, $20 million. Um, Another one, I had a really low-level employee just accidentally type in a coupon that was 10 off of 10 versus 10 off of 100. We racked up like $7 million of sales in like four hours. <laughs> that was a free. So, yeah, there was a bunch of those. On the SEO front, obviously getting banned would be the biggest one. Um, other things that happened, though, um, you know, we were, we were really on to like – the technical SEO from an early stage. We were doing structured data really early. We were doing page speed really early. Um, so when we pushed stuff, usually it would work. Uh, I can't yeah. remember a specific moment of us. I think we were good enough to, to I don't think we ever like pushed something that really hurt us bad. Um, other than, you know, just the accumulation of sort of uh, sketchy links over time that ended up, banning overstock from Google. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's a couple so, so war stories for you. What do you think in terms of advice for, you know, if you're somebody working on e-commerce or enterprise or in the case of, you know, what you did, which is literally massive scale enterprise, what do you think it is translatable to 2021, the 2021 version of, of that sort of SEO? The first advice I always give an e-commerce company is the importance of your navigation and that that is where everything really starts. So 
having your navigation reflect demand and not what you call things, but what people actually search for. People don't search for sheet sets, they search for sheets. Um, Almost every e-commerce company is at fault when it comes to this. Uh, And it's probably the quickest win to be successful. I've seen companies, e-commerce companies change their navigation and grow 100% in three months. Um, You're just gotta call things what people actually call them and what Google knows them as. So that's the quickest. Um, After that, I see a real lack of focus around sort of category and refinement pages. Your category and refinement pages are your bread and butter. That's, those are the pages that are gonna make you a lot of money if you start ranking. You know, they're more broad terms. um, And you'll just see like companies will have a list of products and there'll be nothing else. There's no content. There's, so we had a system that would like basically pull 10% of the review volume of any given category and populate it at the bottom of the page or intermittently on the page, you need to have a content strategy. If you want to rank for sheets, you you can't just have a bunch of sheets. You got to talk about those sheets and you got to have reviews. Um, So those would be the two quickest. Obviously in 2021, um, the big mover and shaker is going to be the page experience update and core web vitals and page speed. Uh, Anybody and and e-commerce sites are just the nature of them. And, and how they have to pull in pricing dynamically and they have to pull in reviews dynamically. They're just slow sites. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. I mean, even Amazon can be slow. Even eBay, you know, Overstock, we've worked on it a lot. I don't know how it's doing now, but those would be my my top three. I think the, the first for any conference is get that navigation dialed and then think about what's the content strategy for a lot of those top ranking pages or those really important pages. So, so a lot of these companies, and this has been been my experience uh as they've evolved the the team sizes have grown uh there are a lot of different stakeholders that have control over the navigation a great example a discussion we recently had with a client was around what to call things or or how to 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 merchandise a category that uh and should they merchandise a category that doesn't necessarily have a huge amount of inventory but has some inventory. And as organizations like that get bigger and there's more visibility into the site, there's more red tape. Uh, and and it, that's why it takes so much longer, uh, you know, to get things, get things implemented. So how do you, maybe that, maybe that's the reason that you, you built your product. Um, <laughs> but had you not built your product, how do you get around some of that stuff? Usually the biggest blocker to SEO success in companies is this sort of political uh, back and forth, whether it's with IT or it's in e-commerce, it's with merchandising or with buying or um, it's, it's brutal, right? There's always, and it is a reason, you know, I, I actually can't say that it's the reason that I founded Huckabye, but there's a reason that Patrick put me in charge of buying at Overstock at a certain point was we were just done having those conversations with the other sides. There's a reason, you know, we had developers working directly in the SEO department at Overstock. Um, it's really tough. You know, it's really tough. Those, those political conversations are difficult, what you want to call stuff. And, you know, I, I think I, I, I was lucky to have a boss that, that cleared up a lot of it for me, but you have to build, I, I, I think good SEO companies, companies that do SEO really well, it becomes part of their culture. Like it is part of the culture, just like 
you know, being good at doing returns. Um, everybody's on board. And the real flip of the switch at Overstock was when the revenue started flowing in. I remember I had the buyer of betting hire a copywriter to write copy out of their own budget. And that was like a big step forward. Um, but yeah, those that's tough. I don't know if I'm answering your question, Jacob, but yeah, those conversations are, and you know, you do have to be, I don't think being a bulldog is the right way. You have to, you have to show the opportunity and like, do you feel better about naming this category something special for your own personal ego or you care more about it selling a bunch of, you know, uh, tie dyed shirts? Like which one do you want? Uh, you got to pick. Uh, but those conversations can be tough because then they take it personally. So, you know, navigating that is not is not easy. I think one of the reasons where Huckabye really helps at this point is like you're never going to get this done. And so have an outsourced solution. And it still gets tricky because yep. we do integrate at the CDN. It's DNS changes. We have to talk to IT. Um, but if they realize both sides realize the value we're providing, they're like, this is actually a lot less work than us spending 18 months doing a dynamic render version and page speed and all these tough problems. Yeah. One thing that I think e-commerce sites have a problem with in general is content, uh, at least unique content, right? Cause a lot of times, like if you're overstock, you're getting a million products in a lot of times you just go with what the manufacturer just sends out. I, I'm not saying overstock in general, but that is a common problem with, with, um, e-commerce sites and differentiating yourself from someone like Amazon who does have like on any product, 73,000 reviews somehow. Um, I, like one of my favorites is uh, the banana slicer. I don't know if you just look up like banana slicer <laughs> and there's like a million reviews and, and they're all hilarious. Cause it's like a 99 cent thing that cuts bananas and who needs it. Like a banana, you can just, you don't need to cut them. So that was that's kind of the joke of that, that whole site. But they've created like a cult of reviewers on their, their site there to have that kind of unique content being someone who has competed against overstock and Amazon in the past. Um, one thing I noticed overstock did a lot of was like how to content to be like that unique content. So if we talk about like couches, there was like how to clean a couch, how to remove dog hair from your couch, how to do that. You know, there was a whole bunch of that con- type of content. Um, do you see that still working on, on sites like, just in general, I guess unique content always is going to work to an extent, but like what kind of, I guess, of contents are you seeing working in the e-commerce space these days? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough one with the Overstock example because we had such massive resources. We had yeah, on top yeah. of the 40 employees, we had another 30, 40 copywriters that were just writing around the clock for, for our stuff. So um, this is putting me a little bit in a mental pretzel thinking about it. Like how would I go about it with a, a regular, a normal e-commerce company? I think the takeaway is yes, content definitely still matters. I think one of the, I was reviewing some of the potential questions on this podcast. And I think one was like, um, you know, how do you compete with an overstock or Amazon? And what I've found with our customers that are smaller is you do have to get quite clever when it comes to keyword research. You have to find a path towards success that you feel like you are the authority on. So like I'll take a smaller company here in Utah. Their name is Cool, K-U-H-L, awesome brand. They make outdoor clothing, kind of a, a Patagonia competitor. And their niche has been hiking pants. So hiking pants is like they are the authority uh, on hiking pants and they've just gotten really good at it and they've done their content strategy around it. And 
I'm not the expertise on hiking pants. They are. And so think about what are you the best authority on? What can you talk to about better than other e-commerce companies and then own that space and have it take a look and make sure that you have, um, take a look at the keywords and make sure there's like a path to success there. Uh, SEO is, you know, it's not just magically going to happen. You have to put in the work. You have to yeah. find the path towards success. So I think that's, you know, what are you, what's your company passionate about and what can you be an authority on that others can't? Yeah, absolutely. So really quickly, let's do some closing thoughts on e-commerce. And then we've got a couple of Twitter questions. Uh, we want to award some, some merch. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of start. Uh, one, uh, if you can avoid getting your content, if you can get it in at all, shoved to the bottom of the category page, uh, sometimes that's a tough one. Uh, I would say do it. Uh, that may require working, you know, working closely with, uh, you know, with the design team and proving it out from a data standpoint. You can get structured data in. Uh, if you can, uh, if you can really work to help define the category and subcategory and refinement architecture. Like those are big win opportunities. The, the more SKUs you have, the more the economy and the more SKUs and the, the more you can focus on the templates and not the pages. Uh, and what I mean by that is product page template category page templates, uh, a subcategory page template. If you can hone in on which templates represent the majority of your pages and focus on, instead of trying to control 50,000 pages, make four or five templates that really perform well and meet SEO best practices, the economies of scale, uh, especially as you have more categories and SKUs and as you're uh, you know, as your site gets bigger and gets into the massive scale level, that's when those small tweaks start to lead to to big outcomes. And I would say, uh, statistically speaking, uh, leading, uh, getting a 3% increase or a 5% increase on a small site, that's nothing, like, that's nothing. But when you're when you're dealing with economies of scale, like on a on an, on an Amazon, let's say you get a, a three to five percent increase in organic traffic on Amazon, that's billions and billions of visitors. So like, just always be thinking in, in terms of economies of scale. Jeff and Jeff, any closing thoughts on e-commerce? I'm gonna ask I agree with you. Sorry, go uh, ahead, Jeff. Yeah, no problem. I'm gonna ask, then I'll then I'll let Jeff like finish it at there. Um, I. I agree coming from the technical side of, of things like i i just think looking through your your crawl efficiencies it's maybe not necessarily crawl budget but we want to make sure that google is getting through the site or getting to where we want them to get because mm -hmm. i've had plenty of situations where we weren't getting deep enough into the site so we might be getting to the category pages but once we get into that that faceted navigation type of, of stuff google would just get lost and all of a sudden 14 million new pages were created just because of the way things are clicking. So really just look into that aspect of um, when, you, when you're on, especially the larger, you know, the economies of scale, if you're at Amazon's level and you just have this weird loop that goes through, uh, next thing you know, there's like a billion pages that, that Google's getting stuck at. So always looking, if you can look at your logs, great, but always like dig through um, search console data. And when you see like tons of pages showing up in like not being able to be indexed, there might be a reason there. Um, so just thinking through that way. Yeah, I would, I would add that um, 
when you're smaller e-commerce, you do have to find these niches where you are passionate about your product. You're the authority. Name things with their, I'll go back to the navigation thing again, no matter what size you are, that's super important to name things, what people actually search for. Um, leverage search, uh, keyword research to actually think about where you want your e-commerce company to go. This is the overstock going from electronics into home and garden. You can find op product opportunities there. And then once you get a bit bigger, couldn't agree with Jacob more. Then it becomes about how do you scale and do things both from a technical and a content and a user generated content and page all those types of things that will scale across multiple. Um, that's what's so great about e-commerce is when you figure out the engine and how the engine works, you can all of a sudden scale things across, you know, thousands, millions of pages. And that's when success really comes. And, and I will give one last closing thought, uh, faceted navigation in e-commerce massive duplicate content problems if you don't do it right. It's basically like the bane of my existence uh, when I work on e-commerce sites, the bane of bane of my existence. I, you wouldn't think you'd have to do so much work with no indexing and robots files. And like, you would think that those would be like last resort things. But when you're dealing with faceted navigation, those become very real first resort things because whatever system you're working on, for whatever reason, will create like 10 different versions of, of a page. And Deca. Or, yeah. yeah. And Deca. And Deca. Uh, <laughs> all right. So let's move into Twitter questions. So we've got a couple of Twitter questions this week. Uh, just a reminder, the winner uh, will be awarded your choice of a lasered page two podcast coaster or a t-shirt, uh, whichever you choose. Uh, Jeff, not Luella, will be picking the winner. And and I was really proud of proud of myself. I was able to introduce a question that tripped up both of the Jeffs. They, yep, there's the, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, there is the coaster. Jeff, hold it up again. I, I also have them in Slate. So Ooh, I can I, uh, I can now do Slate coasters. Ooh, I didn't make I one like yet, that. but I have. Yeah. yeah, I want some slate coasters. Um, all right, so first question comes from old reliable Kyle Rose at Rose KW. Uh, how does your page speed software work? Does the software present areas of need or does it actually go in and solve the, the problems? It does solve the problems. Um, there's always problems that uh, we can't touch that you might have, but it does solve a lot of the problems. I think the overarching way that it works is, is think about, you know, you have your tech stack today, it's firing all these different things. Maybe there's a chat box coming from this location. Maybe there's something coming from the other. And we uh, basically optimize all the way down, cache and push at edge. So that's sort of like the overarching how it works is we're rendering all of that information we're caching it and we're putting it at an edge around the world, meaning that wherever you are, whether you're a bot or a user or whoever, if you're coming in from London, there's a server right nearby that's got all the information that they need to be able to load that particular page. So that's that's how it works. Good question. Excellent. So question number two comes from Ellie Hutton, uh, and that is at L-E-E-L-I underscore Hutton. H-U-T-T-O-N on Twitter. Uh, what are your thoughts on differentiating high value e-commerce pages that are relatively commodified, uh, parentheses, uh, and, and area rugs or dining tables page on an e-commerce site in order to earn or drive links or increase rankings? Uh, it comes down to the product. So the product itself, those area rugs, those dining tables, 
that's what's going to drive links. There's no piece of content in particular. The content piece will reside on some other page that's usually a supportive page. Uh, so it's the quality of the product itself and having a unique product or having a unique category that is uh, tried and true. The biggest reason we would get links at Overstock to some of these very same area rugs and dining tables was that the product was the best in the business and the best prices and people would link to it. So let me let me ask a quick follow-up question. Uh, let's say you're a seller, right? And you're selling on Amazon, you're selling on Overstock and some of these, uh, some of these other kind of big aggregator, one-stop shop sorts of e-commerce sites. And it's the same product across all of these different sites. And you have the same product on Overstock that Amazon theoretically has. How do you, how do you differentiate in order to supplant them in, in rankings? This is when I'm glad I don't work in e-commerce anymore. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, uh, I know the answer is you don't. You, you don't wrap it up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the way you do it is you you do have unique. You do have to have unique content and unique copywriting, unique product description. Maybe you can be a great way is better imagery. So people are always looking for better images, especially for home products. So that's really how it works. But I can't be more thankful that I'm um, now in software. It's a, it's tough. You know, it's you. E-commerce is very competitive and um, you will sharpen your uh, SEO skills for sure. You'll, you'll get as good as it gets if you're, if you're in that space competing. But yeah, the, sh the short answer is you, you do have to probably do something like around images or video. Uh, the bots might recognize the, um, the, the, the unique writing, but the user won't. So that, that's usually yeah. the path to, to beating someone else. Or, or you can just accept that second place is is not a bad place to be because Amazon's the the, the behemoth in the room, and you can just let people pay Mr. Bezos's money so he can go retire and hopefully, uh, you know, now that they're now that he's uh, not going to be the you know running that company anymore, maybe yeah. the person that comes in will be less motivated to take over <laughs> the world because Amazon a, literally does everything. <laughs> there's a great Warren Buffett line that is commodity businesses are the worst unless you're the low cost provider. So if you, if you yeah. have the lowest price, I'll be honest, when it comes to differentiating, the only thing that really matters for these commodity businesses is your price. So you'll get a ton of links if you have the lowest price. Yeah. All right, Mr. I'm not going to trip you guys up anymore. Mr. Luella, take yes. us home. Sweet. So we like to ask this question of all our guests as one final question. And that is, what words of advice would you give a person just getting into SEO? I would say that um, SEO is a very logical uh, industry and, and craft that uh, if you think it through properly and you, you just learn how it works and then you attack those tenants um, that you'll be successful. The other thing that I always say is like, don't get discouraged by competition. Um, there's competition now in the SEO world in every single category. We're competing on SEO terms with other SEO companies and being successful on it. I competed against Amazon for seven years. Um, there's always going to be competition. You just have to chip away, chip away, and eventually you'll get to a point where you you are the competition. You know, Amazon competes against eBay, one, 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 didn't. that's how they got to where they are. So you can build a brand, you can build a company, you can build a career on SEO. 
Um, and then the last thing would be just don't be a jerk. There's a lot of uh, snake oil salesmen <laughs> in our business, unfortunately, and yeah. um, be an upstanding citizen and help uh, you know this this industry uh, you know just be a good good faith industry. Yeah, don't be you a hear jerk. That? That's advice. You hear that bright edge? By... <laughs> yeah. <That's kind> of... <laughs> yeah, we drag bright edge sometimes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I should do it. I want to do a promo that's like change all your bright edge spend to Huckabye and check out the results in three months. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Bright edge, bright edge is, uh, I feel like trying to, trying to automate me out of a job, uh, which may someday, someday happen. I don't think it'll be bright edge. It'll probably be Amazon. (laughs) They'll start doing SEO. Um, So uh, Jeff, where can people find you? Yeah, best way is um, on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on Twitter. And then Huckabye.com, we give a 20% off discount to podcast listeners, which is awesome. This has been a pleasure. What an awesome podcast to be part of with real experts. So appreciate you guys. And we'll make sure that we take care of your listeners if they want to try our product. Awesome. Thanks. Absolutely. Yes. You hear that, listeners. Uh, go take a look at uh, it's Huckabye.com uh, and go sign up for a demo. Uh, and I'm sure you'll, you'll like what you see. Uh, but anyways, uh, thanks for another great episode. We've got, we are continuing this, the, the season next week will be episode 67. Uh, and I believe, uh, if I'm, uh, looking at my lineup, uh, my lineup card correctly, I think that episode 67 is Mr. Daniel K. Chung, who runs another SEO podcast. So that'll be That'll be an interesting dynamic, but uh, if you're listening to this, you know already we record on Fridays, we turn around our editing, and the episode is usually posted at the beginning of the week, so have a great week, uh, and we'll be recording another great episode as we continue uh, Season 3. Thank you so much for listening. So just a quick little bonus feature for uh, all of you Page 2 podcast uh, listeners out there, and kind of a funny and a little bit embarrassing uh, moment for us uh, as one of our features has been the the Twitter questions and we award merch. Uh, and Jeff and I realized that as soon as we jumped off the call <laughs> in the interview last week, we're like, wait, did we actually award anything? Did we pick a winner? And the answer was no. Uh, so in this case, we're not just gonna pick one winner, we're gonna select two. So Kyle Rose uh, and Ellie Hutton, you guys both win your choice. Uh, of uh, you, either a T-shirt or uh, or the uh, uh, you know the coasters. <laughs> so yes, so we will reach out to you. Uh, congratulations, you're the winners. Thank you for submitting uh, great questions uh, again. Uh, and for all of our listeners, uh, we appreciate you uh, and thank you so much for bearing with us as. Uh, as you kind of ride, ride along the amateurish podcast train uh, as we, you know, forget things live uh, and then remember them only afterwards. So have a great day. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to the page two podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the show or listen to new episodes, visit us at page two podcast.fm. That's page, the number two, podcast.fm. Our episodes are also available on a number of other platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Breaker, Deezer, Overcast, CastBox, PocketCast, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Additionally, 
You can also listen and watch our show on our YouTube channel or follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook. If you'd like to get in touch with us, contact us at thepage2podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, happy optimizing.